0: Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to LifechurchNow.org. So today we are actually kicking off a, a new series, and it's it's a combination. It's a series that's that's so that all may hear is a title of the series, but it's also uh, in a, its fashion, so that we can be talking about kingdom builders along the way. So, kingdom builders is our missions accelerating tool here at Life Church. It's our way of basically getting the gospel out as fast as we possibly can to the, to the whole world. And so, it's one of the things that we do. We'll be talking more about that. But, um, you know, I, there used to be a banner. In our in our in our auditorium in North Liberty, when we were in North Liberty, we had this big banner, and I keep referring to the banner, so we might have to resurrect that banner and bring it out again. But the banner used to say, "Mission is why the church exists, and love is the context of all mission." And it was a way for us to remind ourselves why we were here on this earth. Why is Life Church taking up some space, real estate here on this on this earth? Why do we exist? We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for a higher purpose, and we exist for mission, to be on mission for God. And then we identify what does that mission look like. It's love is the context of all mission. We're going to love this world and help them see Jesus Christ through, the, through our compassion and through our love. We used to have that all the time. You see, this idea of mission is hardwired into the DNA of this church. In fact, I've said it many times that whenever Life Church decides to start being inward-focused, Whenever we decide to start caring more about our programs and our buildings and our, our activities and our you know, selfish kind of things, the moment we start doing that, caring about those things at the expense of caring for those outside of these four walls, that's probably the last day I'll be the pastor of this church. In fact, it's not going to happen while I'm here in this church because we are meant for mission. And so we will always push the envelope for mission. We will always, 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 always push the envelope for mission. And it makes us uncomfortable. I got one of our board members sitting in the front row, and sometimes it's uncomfortable when we're talking about what we want to do when it comes to mission. But we will always push the envelope for mission. You see, the church is the only organization on the face of the earth that it's, that, that it's meant, it's, 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 it's created for the benefit of those who are yet to be members of the church. We, are, we exist for the benefit of those outside of these four walls. That's why we exist. And that's who we are. And really, really, that's what Kingdom Builders is all about as well. Kingdom Builders is about reaching those outside of these four walls. Last year, you gave over $400,000 to Kingdom Builders. I, I tell you what, I am blown away by that. That's... More than four times the budget of Life Church when we first started Life Church. And that's just one little aspect, that's one aspect of missions here at Life Church. You gave over $400,000 to King and Builders. That's helped us start two campuses. We started a campus in Cedar Rapids, and we're going to start a campus in, in Wilton, Iowa as well in the fall. It's allowed us to to help plant a church in Cedar Falls, Iowa, Scent Church. In fact, there's a, here's a, images of Scent Church. Um, you might recognize some of these faces, but this young man right here, Daniel Quimby, was a drummer when we, when we were in, in North Liberty. He was a drummer, and he gave his life to the Lord, and then God called him into the ministry, and he went to Bible college, and, and then he became a campus pastor at UNI, and now he's planting a church in Cedar Falls, Iowa, because of kingdom builders. Amen. That's, that's a That's good. That's, that's worthy of, of, of celebrating, right? And because, kingdom, because of Kingdom Builders, you have helped him get sent, sent Church started in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Because of Kingdom Builders and your generosity, we've been helping Syrian refugees who have been struggling with the uh, humanitarian crisis uh, because of ISIS. You know, they've been fleeing Syria, getting on these boats in the Mediterranean, trying to escape, ending up in Greece. Many of them die at sea. Some make it to the coast, but end up dying because of mal- malnutrition. There's an organization there in Syria called Humanitarian uh, Initiative Bridges that, that we partnered with last year. We gave them $30,000 to help, in, help them in their ministry. You can actually look that organization up there in Athens, Greece, Humanitarian Initiative Bridges, if you want to find out more about what they're doing. They're basically serving They're serving the Syrian refugees and and many other things that they're doing as well. Uh, In India last year, uh, because of COVID, see, India is very different than here in America. Like in America, you know, things get shut down and then the government steps in and they're like, okay, who should we give money to? And so they sent, you know, everybody who made less than $75,000 a year, they sent you a $1,200 check. That doesn't happen in India, by the way, just so you know. In India... The government shuts everything down, and people instantly lose their jobs. Millions overnight in India lost their jobs. And then they would lose their jobs, and then they, they had no way of paying rent, so they figured, I can't pay the rent, so I've got to leave. So they would try to get back to their home village there where they started out, you know, where, they were, where they grew up. Some of them would walk. 700 800 miles to try to get back to their home village. There's pastors who are hungry in India because they nobody's you know, nobody's giving money, nobody's giving groceries to the church anymore, and so they're starving. And so, we were able to send thirty thousand dollars to help assist in feeding uh pastors and, and 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 very poor people in India this past year. We're also doing things locally, Lifehouse, There's some ladies here from Lifehouse that uh. It's a ministry that's um, that started by Tim and Tammy Leathers. Tim and Tammy Leathers, if you don't know, are the in-laws of Jaris Beckett, our campus pastor in Cedar Rapids, and also Abby's parents, and uh, yeah, they're, they're amazing, but they just felt this burden, so they started this, this, uh, this ministry to, to, to basically, there's this beautiful woman helping them get a second chance in life and doing an amazing work there in Wilton, Iowa. We're also doing things locally in Des Moines. The Des Moines Dream Center, Jamil Crawford. He'll be here next week to talk about uh, local church expansion. But uh, Jamel Crawford is the director of the De- Des Moines Dream Center, and they're serving the underserved uh, people in, in in inner city Des Moines. I mean. Kingdom Builders has been incredible. I can keep talking about all that Kingdom Builders has done. I, I can talk about Turkey. I could talk about, about France. There's all these other places where we have actually had a, a significant impact, and you, it's because of your generosity, we're touching those outside of these four walls. And I just want to thank you for your generosity. Um, at the end of this month, we're going to be asking you to, to commit again for 2021 to Kingdom Builders. Our goal for this year is going to be $425,000, and last week, you heard from Dylan McNeely, who's our... He's a, a young man that we've been in relationship with for, for, some, for some time now. He's planting a church in Huntington, West Virginia, and so we're going to help him plant that church in West Virginia. There's another opportunity we have uh, with Kingdom Builders in 2021 is in Mumbai, India, which is used to be Bombay, India. In Mumbai, India, there is a CrossFit gym that's starting up. Now, that sounds kind of weird. How many of you like fitness? I don't raise my hand. I don't necessarily like fitness. I do it because I have to, but I don't like it, but Yeah. But there's some cr- crazy people out there that like, you know, CrossFit kind of stuff. You know, I've tried the CrossFit. Nah, it's not for me. It's too much work. <laughs> but, uh, but we have a couple guys in our church that are owners of CrossFit gyms. And uh, there's a, a ministry starting up in Mumbai, India, where they're going to start this CrossFit gym. And the idea is to do frontline evangelism. You see, missions in India oftentimes takes the form of reaching the underserved, the poor, the marginalized. It's a lot easier. It's harder to reach the up, you know, upper class. And this gym has found a lot of success. And so we're going to help outfit that gym um, in 2021 and hopefully take a team there in 2022. I mean, look, I can keep talking about what Kingdom Builders is going to do, but I think it's important to ask ourselves why. Why do we do that? Why should we be concerned about missions? Why should any of us in this room be concerned about anybody outside of these four walls? I mean, there's obvious reasons. Jesus commands it and that kind of stuff. But why? What is it that God wants to do with us? Or what does he want from us? This little statement I used to, I've repeated many times, and it's... its um, It's kind of a mantra, what I feel like the progress for all of us as we become followers of Jesus Christ. And that is that God wants to take what happens to you. So think about where you came from. Think about the journey that you've been on. Think about the struggles that you've experienced. Think about the times in which you really failed God, you failed a husband, you failed a wife, you failed your children, you've done maybe some terrible things in life. And you've experienced some things that you don't like. God wants to take those things that you've experienced, he wants to take what's happened to you and he wants to, it's to he, God wants to take what happens to you to accomplish his work in you. So we've talked about this, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. The reason we say that is you come with all the baggage, you come with all, of the, all the weights, all the hurts, all the stuff that's in your life. You come to God and he starts this transformational process in you. And as he starts this transformational process, he's working in you. He's changing you. He's transforming you. There are people in this room right now. I'm one of them, but there are others, many of you, in this, maybe all of you in this room, can say, I've experienced that transformational power. If, if you only knew who I was before, but then I met Jesus and my life got totally turned around and changed and transformed. He's working in you, he's working in you, but he, that's not where it ends. You see, too many churches stop there. Too many churches start. stop it. It's just about me, 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 me. Get what I need. Make me better. Make me stronger. Make me bit holier. Make me right, more righteous. But God has a purpose for working in you so that he can fulfill his purposes through you. You see, God wants to use you in this world. You're familiar with the Great Commission. The very last words of Jesus, he says to his followers, he says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's his command, right? It's like he, he, he calls them together and says, listen, guys, here's the assignment. And it's not a suggestion. It is a command. It's not an option. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 9 as we talk about God working through us. But for context, it's important to know where this passage is located. It's right before you get into Matthew chapter 10. Okay? And so Matthew 9 is talking about one thing. And then Matthew 10, Jesus does something pretty remarkable. He sends his disciples out two by two. Okay? They've been together. They've been hanging out. Jesus has been working in them. He's been trying you know, renewing their mind, helping them understand the kingdom of God better. He's been working in them, changing their, their biases and their perspectives and all that. Jesus has been working in them and now he wants to work through them and so he sends them out two by two. In fact, it's in, Acts, in, sorry, in Matthew chapter 10 that you see that these disciples for the very first time are called apostles. They're disciples because Jesus is working in them. They're apostles because Jesus is working through them. Well, the word disciple can be translated in, in, the, in the Greek from disciple it can be translated as student. So that's what we are, right? We're students of Christ. When we, when we come to follow Jesus, we make a decision to follow Jesus. And you know, you might, you're confused. I know the first time I came into church and I made a decision to follow Jesus, I was really confused. I didn't know why they did 90% of what they did in church. I'd sit there saying, this is all weir- really weird. Why do those people raise their hands? Why do they shake like that? Why do they act that way? Why do they talk like they're from you know, King James English or some England or something, you know, why I had all this kind of strange stuff going on. And it was the beginning of my journey. God was working in me. I was a disciple of his. I was a student of his. I was learning the ways of Jesus. I was learning the teachings of Jesus. And I was learning how to pattern my life around the teachings of Jesus. That's being a disciple. That's being a student. It doesn't end there. Jesus wants to make us apostles, which are sent ones. He's calling us to be on mission. So I'm going to read this passage in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. So this is his, this is his, uh, his mission. This is what he's doing. He's going about preaching the gospel or preaching about the kingdom of God, letting people know that the kingdom of God is present. See, they thought the kingdom of God was some distant thing. They thought that there was going to be a Messiah who was going to come and basically conquer the whole world and then finally establish God's kingdom. But Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom is a little bit different than what you're thinking. The kingdom actually is in you. It's a part of you. And so he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he's preaching in all these towns and villages. And then in him talking about the kingdom of God, he's, he's proving the power of the kingdom of God through signs and wonders. Healing the sick and doing all these signs and wonders. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. We'll get back to that verse in a second. Verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. This is some action that Jesus is calling from us, okay? He's not just talking to some random people outside. He's talking to you and me right now. And he said, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him, you and I ask him, to send more workers into his harvest field. I remember my very first interaction with this verse, 1983. I just got, I I used to work security, believe it or not, wear a security outfit, Security guard outfit, had a gun and everything. <laughs> I laughed because it was humorous to me too. Um, <clears throat> but uh, uh, I came back one, late one night and I sat down in my, my mother's apartment, her living room, and I turned the TV on and it was on this Feed the Children program. You know, late night, um, kind of uh, asking for money and stuff. And they were documenting the, the, the Ethiopian famine that was going on at that time. And if you remember that, you remember all the images of bloated bellies and, you know, just p- children's, I mean, they, did, they could actually, the video, video could be some pretty graphic video, you know, and I remember sitting in my living room watching that and this, the Holy Spirit just coming into that room and just so moving my spirit. I just began to weep like a, like a baby. I'm just crying and weeping. And I remember my last words to God when I, before I turned the TV, I was, God, just send me, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll just go. They were highlighting this passage found in Matthew nine thirty six. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. That verse touched my heart that day. You see, in this passage, what, Je- what you see is Jesus looks out over this world and he sees the masses. He sees those who are lost and disconnected. He sees those who are waiting for the good news Of the gospel in their lives they're hopeless they're disconnected they're hurting they're broken and his response to that is to say listen we got to do something about this the workers are too few and so my prayer for us today is that God would open our eyes to see the need around us that we would see the way Jesus sees that we would collectively and individually commit ourselves to living a life on mission In fact, I hope you hear my heart this morning. This church, we're nothing if we're not on mission. We're nothing if we're not on mission. We're just taking up space. We're taking up air that we should not. We should close the doors and not call ourselves a church anymore if we're not on mission. That's my prayer is that after today and after this month, that we would just commit ourselves to living a life on a mission. For some of you, that might mean full-time Christian service. You might say, you know what, Rich? After hearing this, I just think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all in for Jesus, I'm gonna quit my job, I'm gonna just go all in for Jesus. For some young people, it's like, I'm ready. Just direct me, point me in a direction. We see in this passage that Jesus encourages them to pray, pray for just that. To pray for God to speak to people's hearts. To pray for individuals in this church that God would respond, that they would respond to to God's call in their life, and they would say, God, here I am, send me, I'm I'm ready to go. Now, if God is going to work through us, uh, through mission, if God is going to work through us in a harvest field, then we need to see people the way he sees people. Notice, Notice what we see here in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, okay, when he saw the crowds, his eyes opened up. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. I think so much of ministry starts when we just open our eyes, when we start to see the way God sees. Now, you might say, well, Rich, this is kind of crazy. My eyes are open. I could see. But sometimes we see things, and we don't really see the way God sees. And this is really the challenge for us is to see the way Jesus sees people. So Jesus, help me. That's a good prayer. Help me see people the way you see people. I mean, you pray this prayer, I promise you. If you really genuinely pray this prayer, God, help me see the way you see, it'll change your life. And you'll discover that you cannot live mediocre, a mediocre life anymore. Jesus saw the crowds. He wasn't annoyed. He wasn't bothered by them. The Bible says that he had compassion on them. Compassion. This word compassion is a pretty deep word, actually. There's three different words that could be used for in the Greek, for compassion. This is the most profound. This is the deepest sense. Splagnos is a Greek word. It's the deepest sense of compassion. This is not like you're driving down the road and you see a homeless person on the side of the road and you take pity. You, You feel bad. It's minus 10 degrees and you're out there. You feel bad, but then you keep driving and you forget about it. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the compassion that Jesus is talking about. We're talking about here. The compassion that we see here is that of a parent sitting in a hospital room with their child, and their child is gasping for breath, trying to, trying to survive, trying to make it, and how that parent feels towards that child, that's the kind of compassion that Jesus feels. Now, the disciples struggle with this compassion. They often saw people kind of like an annoyance, and maybe that's how some of you might feel about certain people. Like your neighbor or something like that, you know, it just annoys me, or a, a coworker that it just annoys you. There's an example of this in Luke chapter 15. This Canaanite woman um, is crying out to Jesus, saying, "Hey, Jesus, my daughter's sick. Will you heal my daughter?" And Jesus kind of ignores her. He doesn't really respond to her. And so the disciples, hearing her screaming out, says, "Say, Lord, just send her away. She's she's such a bother. She's she's annoying us." And then that kind of, it's almost like Jesus was waiting for them to say that because then he perks up and he engages this woman. And at the end of the day, he heals her daughter. And so if we, want to, if we want God to work through us, then we need to see the way Jesus sees. We need to see the need around us the way Jesus sees the need around us. We need to see people around us the way Jesus sees people around us. Jesus, help me see people the way you see people. That's a challenge, believe me. It's difficult, right? It's not an easy prayer to pray. It's hard to pray this way, especially if you again, especially if your coworker's annoying, right? Like you don't see anything good there. I heard a pastor say one time I was uh, meeting with a meeting with a bunch of pastors, and this one pastor, uh, he was just joking, but maybe serious a little bit. He said, "You know, pastor would be great if it wasn't for all the people." <laughs> all the pastors around the room laughed because I think we understood something about what he was saying. And uh, and I you know I started thinking about it a little bit more, and and I might might have been critical of him, like I might have said, man, you shouldn't say that, dude. You're a pastor. Plus, I have a great church. So I don't feel that way, anyways. You know, but 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 you know, I, I'm thinking like this, and then I realize, wait, I need to be careful because I have felt that before. There was a season here at Life Church where where there was a few people that just were maligning me. They were misrepresenting what, what I was saying. They. They were saying they were just speaking about me behind my back, and it was it was hard. And it was during that time it was hard for me to see them the way Jesus sees them. In fact, there were times at night that I was just like, if I could just put my hands around their neck, uh, you know. I mean, I felt that way, you know. I really did. Uh, Of course, I couldn't do that, so. Started thinking about other alternatives. Maybe, maybe I should just leave Life Church. You know, there's other churches I could go to. Or I, you know, I'm familiar with the mission field. I could go to the mission field. I just forget all this. I don't need to deal with these people. And then the Lord began to convict my heart. Because I wasn't seeing people the way he sees people. And when the Holy Spirit began to deal with my jaded heart and just stepped into him, I mean, it changed my life. It changed everything about me. You see, Jesus had compassion on these people. He could see behind the facade. He knew what was in the heart. So for God to do something through me, he had to do a work in me. And that's oftentimes what has to happen. For you to see the way Jesus sees, the Holy Spirit has to work inside of you. He has to change your perspective. He has to change your mindset about things. He has to change your biases. Sometimes you have prejudices that you don't even realize you have, and the Holy Spirit needs to come into your heart and Change those so you can begin to see the way Jesus sees. It says that in this passage that they were confused and helpless. We live in a world in which people are confused and helpless. They're lost and they're disconnected. They're hurting. They're broken. In fact, there might even be some of you here this morning that are confused and helpless. And so when we pray, when we pray this prayer, Jesus, help me see the way you see. When we pray that prayer, what we are actually saying to God is, God, help me be part of the solution. There's a mission out there to be accomplished. So help me see the way you see. Help me be a part of the solution. It's so easy to talk about the problems in this world and never even consider being a part of the solution. But it's a lot more powerful when we say, I see the problem, and guess what? Here, my Lord, send me, I'll go, wherever you want me to go. There's a term that I've used before. Um, I've talked about it before here. And as I think about this, and I've kind of put this in contrast with what I've been talking about, um, if the goal is to see people the way Jesus sees people, then the opposite would be what, what psychologists call the bystander effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of the bystander Effect. I've talked about it before. It's this phenomenon that, that happens when, when you see something. It happens right in front of you, and uh, you see it. Maybe it's something bad. Maybe it's something dangerous. You see it happen, and something happens to you. You get paralyzed to some extent, and you do nothing about it. Now, this, the bystander Effect has existed throughout history. The, the reason we know more about it today is because of social media, because of, te- because of technology. Because now it's so evident, right? Somebody sees a crime happening, they don't call the police, they pull out their cell phone and they record it and then they post it on social media. That's called the bystander effect. Okay? Now, one of the most, probably most famous cases of the bystander effect is the murder of a lady by the name of Kitty Genovese in 1964. She was in New York City and she was on her way to her apartment walking on the street. It was not very late at night, it was actually early evening and somebody jumped out stabbed her to death she yelled for close to 30 minutes 38 people heard the screams a dozen of them saw what happened not a single person called the police now a psychologist would see this and they wouldn't say oh those people are evil they're so bad they're so wicked that's not what they would say a psychologist would say they are they have they were frozen by the bystander effect there's some theories around the bystander effect. This, this is, the first one is that there's this assumption that someone else will do something, right? You witness something bad, it's terrible what you're seeing, but you see all these other people around, so you say, well, certainly somebody's going to do something. I'm not, but somebody else will, right? And so the problem is, is that you say that, and then there's somebody over here who says, yes, certainly somebody's going to do it. and then somebody over here says, certainly somebody, and so everybody says somebody will do something, but nobody does anything, and nothing gets done. That's the bystander effect. It's this idea that somebody else will do something. So when it comes to missions, we might say to ourselves, somebody else will go on that missions trip. I mean, look at this church. There's all these people in this church. Yeah, they can go on that missions trip. Somebody else will, with a lot more money than I have, will give the kingdom builders. I mean, certainly, there are a lot more people here with more money than I have, so they'll give the kingdom. I won't have to give the kingdom. builder. Somebody else will you know, serve in life, kids. Somebody else will preach. Somebody else will reach the next generation. Somebody else will do something about sex trafficking. Somebody else will do something. And when we all say that, nothing gets done. It's a bystander effect. Another reason is the rationalization that there is nothing that I can do. So in one sense, you might think that you can do something, but you think somebody else will do it. In this sense, you think, I'm not capable of doing anything. I'm not capable of, of actually stepping in. I'm not qualified for it. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have enough resources. I can't do this. Eugene Peterson, who's the uh, editor of the Message Bible, or the translation, or translation paraphrase of the Bible, called The Message... He um, he calls this syndrome. He says, "Why do people? Why do so few people actually respond and get involved in ministries? Because of something he calls Afghanistanitis. Afghanistanitis. It's hard to pronounce that word. And it's the idea that real opportunities to make a difference are in faraway places, in extreme situations, and that really doesn't describe your life. I'm not that extreme." I don't have what it takes to be that extreme. I don't have what it takes to do that. And so we step back, we watch only. Probably the most common reason behind the bystander effect, though, is fear. We're afraid. We're afraid to get involved. It's messy. Believe me, missions, ministry, serving others is messy. You run into all kinds of people. And they're not your people all the time. And sometimes their viewpoints are so different than your viewpoint. Sometimes they smell. Sometimes they look weird to you. To you, they may not look weird, but to you they do. I don't know. I'm, just, I'm afraid to get involved. I'm afraid of the other reasons that we're afraid is because we feel we've disqualified ourselves. Rich, if you only knew how bad my life has been, if you only knew all the terrible sins I've committed, God would never use me. And we're afraid that if we get involved, we're going to have to expose who we used to be. What I love about God is that he loves to use you. In this fact, in this story that I just read, Matthew chapter 9, it kind of bookends the calling of Matthew. Matthew was Levi. Before he was Matthew, he was Levi, a tax collector. In fact, the Bible has something to say about tax collectors. When it refers to sinners in the Bible, it says almost always in the in the gospels, it says, sinners and tax. It's like they had their own category. They were the most despised, the most treacherous people you can even imagine were the tax collectors. And so when the Bible refers to sinners as a whole, it says, There were sinners and tax collectors. Like there's a sinner up here, you're a sinner. That's maybe it's down here. But But if you're a tax collector, you're like way down here. That's how bad it was. And yet Jesus walks up to Matthew and says, Hey, Matthew, follow me. Matthew leaves his tax collecting and he follows him. He he was not disqualified from working in the harvest fields. And what I love about God, what I love about God, he loves unleash the unqualified. I mean that... I've never, very few times in my life, I've ever felt qualified to do what I'm doing. And yet his spirit steps in and his spirit leads and his spirit guides. And I step into areas I feel so afraid, so terrified of doing And yet God says, I want you to do this because you're bringing glory to me. God loves to unleash the unqualified. So if you're here today and you're saying, you're saying, oh man, I can, there's no way I can be involved in ministry. There's no way I can go on a the mission. There's no way I can do anything for God. You need to understand something about God. You are exactly the person he wants to use. Because if he uses you and God performs through you, he gets all the glory. That's why he wants to use you. You know, one of the most um, disturbing examples of the bystander effect is the story of Kevin Carter. I don't know if you know who Kevin Carter is. He was a South African photojournalist that would travel to war-torn countries and, and take images of you know human suffering, document human suffering. He took a famous photograph that you may have seen, actually. Um, this picture right here, it's of a, a little girl, a Sudanese girl. We don't even know how old she was but a Sudanese girl fleeing civil war in Sudan. And um, uh, Kevin Carter was, you know, again, this is his job. Is to take these, he's a photojournalist, so he's there taking this picture. It, said, it is said that he waited for 20 minutes because he wanted to take just the right photograph. He waited for 20 minutes because he wanted this, this uh, vulture here to spread its wings, he thought it would be a much, power, much more powerful picture if the vulture had its wings spread, and then he took the picture. Vulture never spread its wings, so he took the picture. They shooed the vulture off, and then he went off to another assignment. This picture then got, you know, New York Times bought the picture, it had a huge impact on the world. It was seen all over the place. It was seen in Time Magazine, it was seen all over the place. They saw the terror of civil war, but then questions began to surface. Hey, Kevin what happened to the girl? What happened? What did you do about the girl? And immediately he, he it's the bystander effect. Immediately he began to tell himself, well, wait a minute. I, I couldn't do anything about the girl. I, he might have said something like, I had all this gear and stuff. There, there's no what to, nothing to do about the girl. Or she was already dying anyways. What was I going to do about the girl? He, he had all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses. This picture right here, won a Pulitzer Prize. It was listed as one of the top 100 pictures of Time Magazine in all history. Carter receives his Pulitzer Prize and a year later he takes his life. And he took his life and he cited in his note, he cited all the, all the atrocities he had seen. He had seen He saw them. And he said those atrocities were haunting him. God wants us to open our eyes and do something. Now, you might feel disgusted with Kevin Carter. And the whole world seemed to be disgusted with Kevin Carter. I mean, do something, right? I was one of those who saw this picture in Time Magazine. And I'm sure some of you saw this picture in Time Magazine. And I remember looking at it, thinking, oh, this is terrible. And closing it and saying, hmm, what are we going to eat tonight? What car am I going to buy? What brand of clothes should I go to shopping for? And even though I wasn't there, present, I was just as much a bystander. Millions around the world were bystanders. We must do something. And guys, I have to tell you, I've seen... <clears throat> My eyes have seen things. That you cannot unsee. And I could try to rationalize it. I could try to say it's somebody else's job. Somebody else needs to do it. Like, you know, I don't have money for that. I could I could do that. I could do it all day long. But sometimes I think what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and me when we see things is the need is the call. If you see it, that's your call. Don't wait for somebody else to do something. Don't step back like Kevin Carter. Just take a picture of it and say, yeah, there was a terrible thing. And talk about it. It means absolutely nothing. The need is the call. The need is the sign. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. God is waiting for those of us who will rise up and say, God, I'm going. I'll go. Send me wherever, whatever I can do. I will do it. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not a suggestion. It's a command. And if we're not obedient to this command, then we are sinning. I'm going to say that again, because I think sometimes pastors preach and say words, and you hear them, and you're like, amen, and then it just flies away. If we're not obedient to this command... We are sinning. We must do something. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission. So how can we fulfill the Great Commission? A couple things we can do. We can pray. In fact, Jesus tells us, pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up workers. God, call. Would you call people out? Call people out of our congregation. Call people out out of my spheres of influence. God, will you call people out? Will you call me, God? Pray that God would send workers into the harvest field. Another thing we can do is we can send. Romans 10 tells us that that if somebody hears the gospel, they will be saved. If they hear the gospel, they will be saved. But then he continues on. But how will they hear unless somebody goes to them? And then how will they go unless somebody sends them? So what Paul is telling us in Romans here is that sending is a part of going. Sending is a part of fulfilling the great commission. You and I have an opportunity to send people. When someone among us feels this call to go wherever it is, you know, we have, we have a, a couple in our church, Zach and Jenny, who said, God called us a turkey. We should be lining up. We should be lining up to send them to turkey. And by doing that, we are participating in the Great Commission because we're sending. Um, I want to show you a map of um, all of our places where we are doing missions around the world, and this is a difficult map to see probably on the screens, but uh, all the places, like, look, they're like pink, they're, they're not really pink, they were supposed to be red originally, but red, pink, uh, and all these, th- th- that's where we have missionary, current partner missionaries who, who we support on a monthly basis that are in all of these different countries, serving in these different countries. Then those in the blue, we have two countries in the blue, Turkey. And, and India, where we have significantly supported, and part of it is because this part of the world right here is is called what they call the 1020 window. I don't know exactly. It's 1020. It's about the parallel latitude stuff. But the 1020 window, and in this area, 90 percent of the unreached peoples of the world are here. And so we've decided as a church to focus in. On those who, are, who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have sent significant amount of support to India and to Turkey as well. We're helping Zach and Jenny Miller who are in Turkey start a business, a, a tourism business in Turkey so that they can, uh, they can have a platform for the gospel in Turkey. We also have the Remade Center. You remember the Dingmans, they've been here many times. We've supported the Remade Center in a very significant way. In, 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 amazing the results of what's happening in those countries. This is what we're doing. See, we are called to missions. God Last year, Life Church gave over four hundred thousand dollars to missions. About twenty percent of our budget. Twenty percent of our budget. I can't wait till we're giving thirty percent, forty percent of our budget to those outside of these four walls. That's why we exist. That's why we exist. Listen, it's God's will that you and I, that you and I be working in the harvest fields, fulfilling the Great Commission. It's God's will. I ask you to stand. It's God's will that you and I be working in the harvest fields. It is not God's will for your life that you passively punch the clock every day at work. Work with people you don't like, that you stay away with, stay away from, and then go home and then do it all over again the next day. That's not God's will. It's not God's will that your greatest passion and hobby in life is to make as much money as, you po- money as you possibly can to then consume it all for yourself. It's not God's will. It's not God's will that the highlight of your week is this Amazon package that you're going to get in the mail. It's not God's will that we as Americans spend, and we do, by the way, three times as much money on our pets than we do on global missions. That's not God's will. It's God's will that you pray. So pray. Seriously. When was the last time you prayed, God, send workers into the harvest field? God, send workers into the harvest field. God, I saw that picture of that Sudanese girl. I can't believe that's happening. God, will you send workers to Sudan? When was the last time you prayed that way? Pray. Pray. It's God's will that you pray, so pray. It's God's will that you send, so send. Listen, I know, I know it's easy. I've been in your shoes. I've been there. I'm sitting, listening. I know it's easy to hear somebody like me get up here and talk about sending somebody across the world and investing in them. And I know you can hear that and you think, yeah, that's great. But then we get cap- captured by the bystander effect. We start thinking, well, somebody else will do that for sure. You know, Pastor Rich doesn't mean me. He's talking about that person over there or that person over there. And it's so easy for us to just basically deflect it and defer it to somebody else. So let's not talk about sending. Don't dare talk about sending unless you're going to do something. Give. Be generous. Be generous. It's God's will that you go, so go. Don't let your conversation about the, the harvest and reaching lost people and those just be a conversation you have within these four walls. You're going to get up tomorrow morning, you're going to go to work and you're going to probably, most likely every single one of you in this room has a colleague that's not saved that you know, that needs Jesus Christ. Don't, don't privatize your faith. It's just mine right here in church and that's it. God's calling us to go, so we must go. Amen. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, I just want to thank you, God, that you are, God, you're speaking. Your Holy Spirit is here right now challenging us. That if we're truly followers of you, that if you're truly working in us, that you also want to work through us, that you're calling us, you're inviting us on a higher purpose in life. Our purpose in life isn't to make as much money as we can just to spend it on ourselves. Our purpose in life is not to, to, to just, you know, shop and get the things that we want. Our purpose in life, God, is to, to be your servant in this world. You've given us talents. You've given us abilities. You've given us skills. You've given us businesses. You've given all kinds of opportunities, God, for us to leverage that for your kingdom and for your purposes. Oh so God, will you speak? Will you speak to us this morning? May we not leave this place without this conviction that you are calling us. Not them, not the person sitting in front of me, it's the person sitting behind me. God, you're calling me to be engaged with a great commission. You're calling me, Father, for you to work in me so that you can then work through me. So essentially, Father, we just put our hands out and we say, here we are, Lord, send us. Send us. Send us. Send us send us (laughs) hallelujah in Jesus name